Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Jack Wicks is the guest on today's show. You might have seen him on Facebook doing a few live videos and walkarounds of his rent to rent. So he started off by buying a freehold block of flats, which is not your usual vanilla buy to let purchase that most of us probably start off with. Um, and then he eventually moved on to rent to rent as a way to generate quick and efficient cash flow. And he's going to talk to us in today's episode about how realistic that quick and efficient cash flow really is, um, but also about the extent of work that needs to go into every rent to rent. He is now also in the process of purchasing a portfolio of houses worth three million pounds. He's done serviced accommodation. He also works on assisted sales and his rent to rent portfolio is bringing in over £10,000 a month in profit. Now, that's a lot higher than the UK average salary. Now, he may be sharing it with his business partner, Sam, who's also his brother, and some potential JVs in there. But you can really see how good rent-to-rent can really be. So, here we go. Mr. Jack Wicks, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Hello, Tej. How are you doing? I am great, sir. How are you? Very well. Very well, as always. Good. I'm, I'm really glad we finally got this uh, booked in. I know it took us a few weeks or so and, and you some mishaps with some microphones so um yeah, yeah tell me about it's, it it's good to kind of get this in especially after i met you i thought you know what you had a really interesting story because you made a fair few mistakes and you weren't hiding them from me you were very much open and saying look this is my experience i've done really well following it but there's been some rough times um and i thought that was awesome because it's not often you kind of hear that from people who are successful you know in the world of instagram you just see the success you don't see the kind of 90 percent of um uh, the struggle before that right so um i'm really looking forward to this podcast and um from what i can see you're a bit of a rent to rent master so um <laughs> i think there'll be some good content for everyone listening especially those in london because i know you invest in well greater london or surrey but you know yeah it's, it's london to us right um yeah, yeah, yeah. so before you became a a property guy what were you doing with your life before? So I've always worked in, well, from the age of 16, worked in pubs and bars. Uh, my brother's always um, managed them and kind of from being about 14 and cleaning cutlery up till um, actually working in behind the bar. And uh, the latest, which was something that really pushed me into doing something different, was working over at the airport, uh, Heathrow Airport. Um, in freight um, and it was literally horrendous and and really forced me into sort of doing something else so I'm kind of glad about it at the same time (laughs) so what what kind of because everyone's heard of property everyone's got an uncle or auntie doing property it's kind of it's a known thing right but for you what made you think I'm going to change my life in the direction of property and not some other type of business or work well, I try. I did try many other businesses and sort of like failed at a t-shirt company and, and kind of just without any passion or knowledge for that thing, just knowing it was going to be something but not knowing what. Um, and it wasn't until I bought my first property with my now wife and I just loved it. I loved dealing with the solicitors. Um, that's obviously changed now. <laughs> yep. um, but yeah, I, I just loved the whole process and, and we made a bit of money on it and 
Um, my brother did the same. And um, yeah, I mean, we, we, would, we were on our way to London, myself and Sam, and, uh, and he found a little thing in the metro about free property seminar. And, and we just decided to go for, go for that. And um, as per usual, Sam was at the back of the room signing up for the next, the next three-day course that we attended. Um, but that worked out to be absolutely amazing. Um, I didn't even, at that point, didn't realize you could remortgage and pull money out of a property. So that was that in, on its own was just like my mind was blown. So, um, yeah, that was that was when I realized how people became portfolio sort of owners um, and, and big property guys. It isn't just having tons of cash, which is what most people think. Um, but actually, you can just be creative and, and use the same money over and over again. Hmm, interesting. And, and what company was this with? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, it was Tigrant. I think they, they're now called, I think they change their name every week by the sound of it. <laughs> okay, cool. So you went to that three-day event and then I'm assuming you got taught loads, lots of networking, lots of sort of positivity, right? Yeah. And then how did you sort of leave that event and then go on to sort of, uh, you know, secure your first deal? Or, or actually before that, how did you know what strategy you wanted to do? Because there's 101 different things we can do, right? Yeah. So, I mean, at, at that stage, it wasn't so much a strategy we knew. It was an area. Uh, my parents had just moved to Hastings from Surrey and um, and they were telling us how cheap the properties were. And we looked into Hastings a little bit more and, and found that there was a, a big five-year regeneration project. It was about halfway through. Everything looked great on that side. Properties were so cheap. And um, and we did everything they said in the in the course basically we walked the streets to find the best ones the worst ones spoke to agents called for sale boards and and that's how we found our first deal and so when you say properties were so cheap what what kind of you know price levels are we talking about in hastings well we bought so to give you our first deal as an example we bought we bought that for two hundred and fifty thousand, which was a freehold block of four flats Wow. So your first deal wasn't a sort of vanilla buy to lay. It was a, a block of flats. Yeah. <laughs> and I get, what gave you the confidence to buy that instead of doing, I guess, the more traditional route of the kind of single buy to let? I don't know if it's confidence or cockiness, probably, <laughs> um, probably on my side. Uh, I was, I was about, I think I was about 24 then. And uh, having been on the three day course, I obviously knew everything. <laughs> Uh, that there was to know properly so of course yeah Yeah. so i thought well why not why not for of course i can and so you bought that you did all your due diligence all your spreadsheets things like that um who was your target market in terms of your tenants it was definitely not that (laughs) that situation (laughs) at all it was it was the agent that was selling it telling us you know this is what i can get you and this is what they're going to be worth after she also acted as a project manager to to get the the renovations done so we basically turned it was three one beds and a two bed and we turned that into three two beds and a one bed so we added it we, we chained took the kitchens out made them into bedrooms put them in the living room wow so a fairly substantial uh, refurb right for your first yeah. project yeah yeah it totaled about seventy five thousand. the renovation was and then what did it revalue at um so it revalued at four hundred and thirty thousand. Okay. And that was based on the on the fact we hadn't split the titles, which was another rookie mistake. We hadn't split the titles, which they even told us they could have valued at 460 had we have done that. <laughs> so um, it, it sounds like the deal went pretty well and you got 
some of your money back out if not all? yeah it went great i mean we we remortgaged at 80 percent, so we pulled th- three four four out um which was everything in a bit wow. so yeah it was one of those that was like yeah i am the best i do know everything <laughs> <laughs> three-day course got all your money back out i mean you were living the dream at this point exactly, by the exactly. sounds of it so what kind of tenants cause I, I don't i'm not familiar with hastings and maybe some of our listeners aren't as well what kind of tenants rented it or are renting it so it's some some are it's, it's normally a mixture of of housing benefit and and professionals um some may be sort of like first time parents with their other half doing being in work um so it's a combination of those it's kind of kind of generally based around um sort of a higher level of sort of housing benefit i suppose okay and so that was your first deal straight in with a purchase and I know there's another deal in Hastings that I think might be a cautionary tale for everyone. So yeah. do you want to tell us a bit more about that one? I know what you're angling at here. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So we obviously uh, touched on being being young and cocky. We uh, having done the deal so well the first time, the, the same agent said, I've got another one for you, which was a block of 10 flats and a shop at the bottom. It was grade two listed. It was seafront, middle of town, and and we we did the other mistake of falling in love with the property. It was like winding staircases, really tall ceilings, Victorian build, and we walked away thinking that must have been a million quid. And they came back and said actually it's seven fifty. So we were thinking we were getting a, a right bargain, uh, and asked the agent what she thought if we spent X amount, what would it be worth? And that was as far as our due diligence went, really, on that one. Um, oh. We, <laughs> we basically just trusted what she said. The first one went so well. Um, and we did a delayed completion. Mm. So we exchanged with 10% down. So the purchase on that one was three quarters of a million pounds. So a, a big jump. And we had six months to do the work and increase the value. We did the work. And it didn't increase the value. <laughs> so <laughs> you can laugh about it now. Otherwise, I'd be crying. But um, yeah, so we basically lost sort of six figures on that deal. Wow. Um, so it was a it was a hell of a learning experience. I mean, the lucky thing was is the first one went so well it ate that mm. rather than us having to be in massive debt and you know being in real trouble the first one kind of had enough in it for for us to to be able to carry on luckily and then so this deal went pretty badly right but like what are your if you reflect on it what kind of learnings would you give to other people who um are kind of listening to this and thinking oh like why did it not revalue higher you added value to it like what like what did you do wrong yeah i mean we didn't value it from the start so we didn't get it valued as it was um it was just an agent and only one agent we didn't even go to other agents to confirm that um and and realistically go go into to that size deal um you want to be joint venturing with someone who's done it before that would that would be my my biggest thing from all of this is starting out stop trying to keep 100% of everything and just go and find someone who's done something go and find them a deal and even if you take 25% just learn from it Mm. So you're valuing education over pro- pure profit at the start because at the end 100%. of the day, you've got your life to do this, right? So 
you need to be educated or else you could kind of do what you did right? <laughs> yeah in the yeah. nicest way possible yeah yeah cheers <laughs> <laughs> hey i'm honest um and so so both of these deals you know especially the second one were kind of fairly expensive and i know you had a delayed completion but you would have had to put some of your own money into both so like where did all this cash come from because you you didn't have like a you know a corporate job before you didn't have um you know we haven't touched on anything that would have given you this big bunch of cash no so we were quite lucky uh the same time we did the course my dad had just retired sold his house in surrey um so you know our eyes lit up he's he, he didn't quite feel the same <laughs> but um no he was more than happy to support us on the first one and and we offered him you know a big percentage for that for that money obviously without a track record it's it's very difficult to to find that finance again that's what i'd say to the to people is joint venture with someone who has done it and has the money rather than trying to trying to do it yourself as much as possible um, so yeah, and and then obviously the the profits came back in and then went into the second one. Sure, and then you know something that's interesting about joint venturing is a lot of people will say, oh, but like you know I don't know anyone or or people don't know me or like yeah I meet people with money but you know how do they know that I'm good for it you know and I think you have a brand on Facebook um, and so like how important is sort of social media and showing what you're doing to people or has yours purely been word of mouth? Like what tips could you give to people for proving to investors before they kind of speak to them maybe that they are investable? Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, I, I wish I'd have started doing the Facebooks and everything a lot earlier. I've only just, you know, the last year really started um, contributing online and things like that. And it's really important. Um, but I think, I think if, just just networking just being genuine showing that you've done your homework you've read the books you've you know your stuff you need to know stuff you can't just not know anything and not have any money um you, you need to at least know the theory behind how things work um even if it's down to your area if you know the area better than anyone then that's a huge thing um just, yeah just just knowing what you're worth and 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 that what you're bringing to the table is fair exchange for that money yeah I agree. It's knowing your value. And I think it's it's a tricky one at the start, especially if you come from kind of being employed and having a job. You don't really know your value. Your value is what your employer tells you. Um, and I guess, you know, if you're going to a JV partner and it's a pure loan, you, know, you might be thinking, oh, but I'm buying all these properties and they're just getting 10% a year. Well, it's like that's what the mortgage companies are doing that's that's kind of how all lending works right so i guess it's maybe stepping back and like reflecting on the world of finance and saying actually i'm fitting into this perfectly well um and investing in properties is often more secure than investing in other types of things right because it's bricks and mortar um so could you give us a brief kind of um i don't know i guess top level view of what your portfolio consists of because i'd like to talk about some of the rent to rents but i also want everyone to understand how you're kind of set up yeah, so we we've um, I mean after after the Hastings stuff, I needed to to create an income essentially, and and found found rent to rent uh, when I got myself a mentor and just sort of focused really hard on that. Um, and we built, I mean, we've been doing it for about three years now. So it was originally myself, and now my brother Sam is 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 doing it with us uh, as a joint venture. We've got fourteen HMOs on on rent to rent and and ten service departments. Okay. And what made you go from, I know you needed to create an income, but what made you go from 
purchasing renovating kind of remortgaging to then controlling assets and not owning them like did you think hold on a minute i should just buy more houses get lots of investment from others and generate a similar cash flow in a similar time like why rent to rent it was it was down to speed for me i need i needed something quick and and rent to rent can give you that i mean i'm i'm generally hyperactive i get bored of stuff i need quick things otherwise i'm off to the next thing uh, so so that was important i mean it still took me three months to get the first deal for various reasons i mean generally again just me messing up and flying around doing stuff before i i took the advice of the mentor um but it but it ended up quite well worked quite well in the end hmm. and then now touching on speed now when i i think you and me were talking about some rent rents i was looking at and i sent you over my kind of spreadsheet now one thing that always got me is that Obviously, depending on the quality of the house, you're probably always going to have to do some type of work, yeah. um, get some sort of furniture lease. Let's say a couple of grand up front to, to redo it. Let's be really kind of conservative, like overestimate it a little bit. I then looked at the figures and thought, hold on a minute, it's going to take me at least six months to make back what I've put in at the kind of start. And that's cool because it's a three to five year agreement. But would you not say that people could potentially be buying houses in that same time, owning an asset and still getting a potentially similar income? What do you think? It, it, I mean, I'm obviously going to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Uh, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's different. It, it depends. You can structure rent to rents in so many different ways. If it's your own money and you need income and you've got a lump, you can take that money as a monthly figure from day one you don't have to you know you can take that whether that's money money's tied up for six months or not um it's still going to take you three months to purchase a property before you then make your money as well um so with the rent to rents if if you pass reference in or don't need reference in you can get the keys the next day you can you can be you can have tenants in there the following day if you're really good um but yeah i, th I think it's, it's definitely down to the speed um for me anyway it, it it worked and the way we now structure it with our investors um that that really helps with with that speed and, and getting money in straight away hmm. okay and could you tell me about your first rent to rent deal yeah so that was before i got the mentor so i i, I knew the theory behind rent to rent and and was confident in in how it worked and thought i'd, I'd go and find my own one without having spending loads of money on um on a mentor uh, so I went and tried to find the biggest property I could find so that I didn't have so I could do less deals but make more money and didn't find any until I hit Aylesbury which was uh, it's pretty much bang on an hour's drive without traffic for me just to get one way um, so that was a huge mistake a very another very costly mistake <laughs> uh, underestimated works uh, overestimated rents and yeah it turned out to be a nightmare what are your learnings from that well it's, t it's tough because you're always told to you know action go out and do it stop procrastinating go out and do it but there's an element of stop taking action <laughs> do less action <laughs> i like that <laughs> um yeah i mean for people like certain people like me people who are confident who just want to go out there and and get deals that's the fun bit you it's dangerous because you you want the deal so bad and you're more than happy to run around getting them that if you haven't got enough 
knowledge and and the numbers aren't right you still try and push that deal through because that's all you want so i think there's definitely an element of of just make sure you're in the right place before you take that action because because it can can lead to expensive mistakes yeah okay that, that, that's an interesting one and i agree we are told take action stop stop messing around but I think it's like a balance, right? It's like don't do too much analysis and stuff that you can't actually act, but do enough so that you're well informed and educated, right? Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Wow. And so after that rent to rent, when you know you kind of made this mistake, did you kind of for a moment think, oh, why am I doing this? This is like my sort of second biggest mistake, or did you just think, you know what, it's all part of it? You know, in in the grand sum of things, this is going to be a small blip. Yeah, I think I think for me that those mistakes of yeah, if, if it's like they always say, you only lose when you give up. So all of those things that have gone wrong in the past have now sort of helped me along the way. So I can spot things and think, well, don't do that. You know what's going to happen if that happens. Whereas, you know, I, I feel fairly lucky that the the Hastings deal happened when it did, when it was early on. And we kind of came away fairly unscathed because of the first deal. But now, you know, for me, I think if, if they'd have kept going well, those deals, I could be not doing any due diligence on 10 million pound properties and then when they go and fall through that's when there was going to be a big mistake so i'm quite glad it happened so early on in the process as opposed to just getting lucky all the time yeah absolutely Um, and people are afraid of making mistakes it's that's what stops people doing stuff but 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 mistakes are inevitable they're going to happen and just just as long as you deal with them in the right way that's the most important thing and and just make sure you learn learn from the mistakes okay and so your portfolios are split between sort of rent to hmos and rent to sa's right yeah so what are the key differences between the two in terms of actual work done so not once you've um acquired the properties and set them up but actually once they're up and running with you is it a case of the SA is like a hospitality business and it's really really kind of busy or what's your kind of opinion on that yeah I mean for me SA is is, it will not form part of my portfolio moving forward it's 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 a job I mean everyone talks about the automation element of it and there's only so much you can do with that in my opinion to get the best out of them you need to be there you need to be meeting and greeting you need to you need to be speaking to companies there's so much to do it's not as easy as everyone makes out and says, you know, stick them on the on the online portals and and there you go, you're all you're going to be for making loads of money. It's it's difficult. It's a really tough business and it's not something that I would continue getting any more of, um, just based on the time element and and the stress as well. Everything's immediate with SA. Everything needs to be done because it's like a hotel. They want a, a fix immediately. Whereas with an HMO, you can tell them we'll deal with it tomorrow or someone's going to come on day X. Hmm. And when it comes to your HMOs, how much, like how actively are you or your brother managing them? Like how, I don't know, if you had to say in a month across your, was it 12 HMOs? 14 now. Well, congratulations, 14. <laughs> um, how How many hours a month are spent sort of on them in any sort of aspect? So, so for me, I, I, I leave that mostly to Sam and I, I sort of, I'm trying to get the going for the more deals and, and different stuff now we're, we're going for, but, um, I mean, we've got some really good pro well, Sam's got some really good processes. I was running around doing everything. At one point I had WhatsApp groups for each house with the tenants on there 
which yeah, not good on a Friday night when they they've got a bit drunk. But um, <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's managed to sort of systemize that. We've got a really good um, process that it's it's very easy to take care of everything, and also good team. So plumbers, electricians, handymen, they're brilliant and they help so much. The only thing he does spend the time on is the viewings, really. Um, but if you're gonna put time on it, he probably does maybe five or six hours a day for three days of the week, something like that. So 15 hours a week. Okay. I mean, that's, uh, that's pretty good for a portfolio that's bringing you an income that is probably not financial freedom, but probably the next step above it, perhaps, would you say? Yeah. I mean, when we're full the and, and everything's hunky-dory, we, we, we cash flow around 12,000 a month. Okay. And is that um, that's net profit or is that that's net pre-tax, yeah. Okay, wow. So that's, you know, that's a lot higher than the UK average salary. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's between two of us, remember. And we've yeah. Had, yeah. I mean, we've got joint venture partners within those as well. So, it, you know, that's that's kind of that's the, the, the overall figure, yeah. And then and, and you don't own any of these houses. So you've had to put in very little money at the start and yet you're generating the cash flow from it, right? So rent to rent sounds like a pretty awesome strategy. Now, you've you've done it and you've done it well. So if I said to you, I am fresh in rent to rent, I you know, I have a basic idea of property. I know the kind of basics and the knowledge and bits like that, but like how do I get started? What what kind of practical steps and tips would you give me to go from sitting here on a podcast with you to getting my first rent to rent? Yeah, I mean, there's there's loads of people that try and do what I do and or did and run out and just get it, knowing that you you know essentially rent to rent is a simple business. You you rent you get more in than you spend, uh, but it's yeah definitely get educated and and if you can go for a mentor, uh, I think it's really important just having someone because there's loads of little bits and and even when you get the deal, that's not a big issue. There's so much after the big after getting the deal that you need to worry about and and having that person just to give a text to or call is it was huge for me um i I try and make sense of stuff myself generally and and try not to just ask at every opportunity i try and learn myself but um but yeah those things especially when it's down to legals and documents and those little bits i think it's really really good to have someone there and knowing that you are doing it right Okay, but let's kind of hone down on some practical steps. So what what kind of things do I need to be doing before, like, talk me through what you did then, perhaps. So from going from, you know, having a couple of rent to rents or one, like, how did you go out there in the market, get these viewings, get these offers in, explain it to agents? Like, what was your steps? Or if you didn't have a logical, logical steps, what would you tell others to do? Yeah, so um, number one is get your company, get your website, get your emails, get all of that stuff set so that you look professional and you know what you're doing. Uh, a big tip for me would be call yourself a relocation agent. Um, the estate, they're, they're letting agents know who, what they are and what they do. They don't know that you're going to fill it with six people and not one family, but you can explain that further down the line. It, it gets you the viewing. So that that's another tip is to get the viewings, try and say as little as possible, answer the questions but get the viewing is the most important part. Once you're on the viewing, you can build rapport and then explain a little bit more about what you do. When you get back to the office, make the offer, 
and then tell them in your special conditions exactly what it is you plan on doing because the letting agents are a lot more likely to to explain it to the landlord and fight for you when he's actually got an offer on the table they're they're very easily try and put the phone down on you otherwise if you tell tell them too much on the first call Mm. Okay. And that's an interesting one. And I can definitely vouch for a relocation agent. I know you told me that once we met. Um, and I, I used it on agents in my area and it just, it's, it, it was smooth. It just flowed. Um, yeah. but interestingly, maybe it's, and I know we work in kind of areas that are near to each other, but obviously kind of different within themselves. Now, um, I, when I was speaking to agents, they kind of wanted everything up front. So it was very much like I tried to do what you said and mention a little bit. Um, but when they asked and asked, I just, I gave them the answer they required. And actually 80% of them were cool with it. Um, maybe it's just the area I'm in is like, it has more people doing that or they're kind of more used to it or they just want more money, but they were pretty cool with it. So sometimes I think in our heads, we make it sound like, oh, it's going to be so hard. They're going to reject me. They're going to say this, that, and the other. But actually... You know, I've had it pretty kind of straightforward, um, which I didn't expect, right? Um, so once you've got the property, I know you mentioned there's a lot more to do afterwards. What what are we talking about there? So everything from, you know, you've got to pass referencing. So this is a huge one. This is massive. So, and no one really talks about it in courses or anything like that. Everyone thinks you can just walk into a property, but you can't. You Unless you're direct to the vendor, to the landlord, and they're happy to just take you on face value, which most won't be, then you're going to have to prove that you can afford to pay the rent, even though you're not paying it. It's just something you have to deal with. So you're, if you don't have a high enough income, which if you're going to guarantee your new company, because your new company is not going to pass because it's brand new, to guarantee your company, you have to be earning 36 times the monthly rent which is quite high and, and a lot of people get into rent to rent thinking that, that this isn't going to be a thing, but it is. And, and you, you need to get plans for that before you go in and make yourself look stupid when you tell them, actually, I can't afford it because they're going to ask you why you've been looking at it then. Yeah. And I've, I've seen that before. And so what would you say people could do to better prepare for these referencing checks? So you, you've got two choices. You can either, Put someone, put people in in your company that you know can help you pass referencing as a guarantor, or joint venture with someone who has a company that will pass the referencing. Is it's, it's kind of that simple. There's no other way around it. You the the let and if you're going to go down the letting agent route, then they're not going to let you let you off without doing it. Um, and and a lot of let a, a lot of landlords are also going to want to see something. They're not just going to let you just walk in and hope that you're going to pay the rent. They're going to want to see what you do for a job and how much you earn. Hmm. And you're right. This is something that is not mentioned on any rent to rent sort of, I don't know, information or courses that I'm aware of. Um, and I think it's, it could be a pretty big blocker. Um, especially if you're putting someone in your company, um, who, you know, might be a friend or family or someone like that, they can also potentially be liable for it. Right. So there's another level of, shared risk um so no, that that's a great tip be prepared I, I i wasn't when i was looking for rent to rent one of them turned around and said you know we're going to reference you and your company's you know two months old and i was like oh <laughs> mm. yeah sure <laughs> no one told me about that um so then you know when when it when it comes to rent to rents one thing and i guess this is with hmos in general 
and that I personally find um, maybe difficult to do is to estimate like the demand. Now, I know you've got spare room, but then I know the stats on that can be a bit iffy. Some people's profiles say they'll live anywhere in like a 50 mile radius and they always come up in your search. And so like, I find that there's no exact way to estimate, um, I know estimate and exact two different things, but um, to kind of predict if there's going to be demand in a HMO. So how have you gone about understanding that and predicting it? Yeah, so it, it was just an amalgamation of various sources essentially um a lot of it you can you if you know your area you know there's going to be people in need of rooms i mean my area is very expensive rents are high um and on that alone you know there's going to be professional people looking for rooms to rent good quality rooms to rent so i think a lot of it as much as all the sort of analytical people are going to hate this it's like it's sometimes you you just you, you don't need to go that far into it. You just, if you look around um, at the area, you're, you're going to see that there's there's need for it. I mean, obviously, we always do spare room ads, fake ones, put them out there with a little picture of something um, looking half decent that we know we can probably emulate and see what you get back. Tests, normally, we'll if it's a six-bed house, we'll try six different prices of rooms and see which gets the most inquiries. Spare room for us is the only way we get rid of our tenants get rid of our tenants get our tenants um we've tried everything and and spare room is the only one now that we bother with because it's it's 95 percent of the people we were getting wow okay so spare room is obviously a really good platform for you um and and, and a lot of others actually who are doing rent to rent or doing hmos full stop um and when it comes to void periods, because again, this is something that's always discussed with HMOs, but it's not discussed as openly as maybe I'd like. Like, what have your voids been like? Since Sam took over, a lot better. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it is something that that you need to to obviously keep on top of. So we we don't take deposits per se. We take um, a last month's rent up front from our tenants. So that we, so that they're not having to be put into deposit schemes. Um, the tenants hate putting them in deposit schemes because they have to wait for a month after they've actually left to get their money back. So if we charge them up front, they've got their money to move forward when they give their month notice. So actually, it's it puts us under a bit of pressure because they've already paid that up front. If we've used the money, then we're not getting rent for that month when they've given notice. So we're then attempting to try and fill that room as soon as possible with the depo- with the deposit from someone else. Mm, smart. I like it. So I- I'm guessing you're at the point now where, you know, um, estate agents will and letting agents will literally just call you as soon as they have a property that matches and they'll say, Jack, I know you're going to like this. Come down. Are you at that kind of stage? Am I right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, most of them are well overpriced. <laughs> um, but I mean, the market as it is at the minute, um, we're 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 finding a, a lot of them are taking quite substantial offers. Okay. And then, how have you, like, how have you got to the point where letting agents will call you as soon as they have something that matches? Is it literally just time and proving to them that you will do what you say you're going to do yeah i think i think they probably get a lot of people that go on the courses or have heard of rent to rent and they run in there they tell them what they're going to do and then they never see him again so it was it was it's important for me to 
when you're even if you're just in the high street or something for something else just pop in to show your face that you're still there anything else for me um buy him a coffee if you want to really brown nose him but um I, I i didn't go that far i just kept weekly sort of visiting face to face as opposed to on the phone which i did as well but i think it's important to actually go in there um and and eventually they get the point that you're not going to go away um and and also and also just just giving them something nice after and showing your appreciation for them helping you get the deal that's important i mean we bought a guy once a, a jeroboam of champagne so this massive ginormous bottle which came in like a box it was only i think it was like 100 quid or 120 quid so value wise it wasn't massive but every single it was a big office big chain and we walked in there and gave it to him and the next time I called, it was someone else. And he said, oh, are you the, one of the champagne boys <laughs> straight away? So it was quite good to be kind of like recognized as having done that. Mm. Okay. I like that because I think courses and whatnot talk a lot about kind of gifts and donuts and stuff, which is nice. But I think what you did is rewarding them for a job well done. But also you've created a brand and a value around you that... They're going to take the mick out of him in the office for it. They're going to enjoy it. They're going to kind of, you know, he's going to feel pretty gassed that like he just got this huge bottle from you. And so you've done, I guess, more than just giving him a coffee or donuts or something like that. So that's an interesting take on kind of rewarding and creating a brand for yourself. Yeah, um, I mean, the difficulty with that is they've got to get you to do in the first place. So you, <laughs> you, kind of, yeah. you kind of got to do it all. And then when you do get the deal then yeah reward them and then they're going to be running around calling everyone they know to trying to get another deal so um but yeah I've, I've kind of like i think it's important just i mean being younger has actually helped with rent to rent because let, generally letting agents are quite young too so it's it's i think it's quite refreshing for them to deal with someone a little younger they can actually get on with and and, and talk about normal stuff so i mean i've offered i've ended up offering them tickets to like various sports events and, and things like that and just say you know in passing if, if you can if you can get me the deal I'll get you this um, and just little things like that without kind of saying you know I'll put 500 quid in a brown bag in your back pocket when you, come to the <laughs> uh, you, you can do things that are a little bit more personal I think mm -hmm. are more important yeah okay adding the meaningfulness to it I like that so you are based kind of near to me in sort of west, slightly kind of southwest London, maybe kind of greater London. Now, house prices around us are very expensive. The yields are not great. They're not good. Um, but there's obviously plenty of other things that we can do in our area. So what are you planning on doing next? So we are looking. So I like the no money down ideology um everyone's always moaning that there's never no money down but I, I i think it's a bit like 10xing everything it's kind of an ideology as opposed to a, something in practice no one 10 times is everything it's kind of thinking on your first deal if i did have 10 what would i be doing now as opposed to the actual getting 10 um it's a bit like that with no money down it's like how can i limit the amount of money i'm going to have to put into a deal and structure it in that sense so that's really important around this area like you say um you know it's really expensive stamp duty is huge so if there's any way of us mitigating that or or avoiding purchasing so so we're looking at assisted sales at the minute 
Um, and and agents are really liking the idea. None of them have heard of it. And they're really liking it and, and understanding why it would be valuable to everyone. So talk us through what is an assisted sale? So essentially you would agree a strike price as opposed to a purchase price for a property. Again, you want to be aiming at asking price or over if you can to make it interesting for the vendor. And you will do works. It could be anything from painting the walls to putting a new loft conversion on. You will then sell the property on their behalf with them still owning that property and you will keep the difference between the strike price and what you sell it for. And how do you choose which properties to do this to? Is it ones that are on the market for long, ones that are in kind of a distressed state or? Yeah, so I mean, I've kind of identified around here that there's a lot of probate bungalows and combined that's an awesome thing for us because one, they're empty, so you're not going to have to move the person out of that bungalow to do the works and everything else like that. Plus the vendor's generally going to be the one who knows who's passed away. So if you can kind of take away a bit of that pain by saying, well, actually, let us take care of this from now on. We're going to give you as much as we can and and let them not have to go back to that property again and, and deal with that stress. We can we can do that and, and aim to get them asking price or more money at the back end. So it's, it, it works really well. And and obviously with bungalows, you, you've got the loft space that you can really add value to. So when we talk about asking price now how so these properties that are going on asking price they're probably going on for prices that are higher than they're worth especially if they're kind of probate and in a bit of a state so how do you how do you pay for the refurbs cost that all in do all the work pay them asking price and still get it sold or valued at way higher than asking price which may already be high as it is that's the difficulty really with with it but you know, I, th- I think if you know your figures, you offer what's best and, and it, it might not sound that appealing until eight weeks down the line, they still haven't had a bite and they've had three viewings and then they start to understand why your offer's there. And and being quite transparent with your, with your offer and, and your figures as well is really important, I think. So if you can actually write down the reason our offer is this, because we need to make a minimum of X percentage. So if we buy it off you at this, then spend this much money to sell it for this then we're not making that so to kind of help them understand why your your offer is a little lower is important moving slightly kind of sideways into again focusing on your area what are your thoughts on the market in your area and this is a broad question so you can answer it with any focus you like yeah i mean the the prices are definitely dropping there's stuff stuff is still moving but really slowly i mean i'm used to things having to offer over asking price just to get a look in. Um, but I mean, my personal property I, I bought recently um, late last year was up for, I think it they had an offer at four, two, five, um, which, which the, the vendor actually decided not to sell. They eventually sold it up to us late last year at three, eight, five, um, which was, yeah, just around something like 50,000 less than they'd previously had. So it's been slowly declining until, Obviously now with 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 the whole looming Brexit and everything else, it's um it's definitely had an effect and and people have just decided I think now, you know Christmas isn't too far away. Brexit's gonna we're gonna find out what the situation there is in March I think. So actually let's just hold fire and see what happens. Hmm. Okay. 
And then, um, can people make money in London on property? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, of course. I, I think being creative is important. I think there's, there's definitely opportunity. There's opportunity everywhere. If you, if you're, if you're looking in the right places and, and if you know your area really well, which is, uh, I think Kevin McDonald touches on that is, is the area you want to be choosing is your area. Because if you go elsewhere, it's going to take you five years to even catch up with someone who's been doing it for, for ages in that area. They're going to know stuff better than you. They're going to know the agents better. They're going to know which road is slightly better than another. So I think it's important to wherever you've grown, well, not grown up specifically, but wherever you've spent a lot of time and you have great area knowledge, then just pick that area and, and, and try and figure out a way of a structure or something that's going to work and and serve the people in that area. So I think I'm quite lucky in a sense that the assisted sales have combined so well with probate bungalows, which are, there's tons of them around here. So it, it really works well and, and kind of helps everyone involved. Hmm. Cool. Creating win-wins for everyone in your area. I yeah, like it. I don't, I, I don't like that. that <laughs> term, but I was trying to avoid it, but you lo you love those sort of uh, cringy terms, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna say golden nuggets next aren't you? oh obviously gold mine area power team everything come on i've got a whole list of these to get through um, so jack look that brings us to almost the end of the podcast and it's now the quick fire round or should i say the quick fire round that was me doing an american accent it's, i need to get that done properly so um we're gonna do three by three so what are the biggest three mistakes that you have made jack well, you've kindly sort of like focused most of this podcast <laughs> on all of my mistakes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, too big, too quick. That, that That's a big one. As, as like I said, with the taking action and um, wanting to do big things, like have that in your head, but just make sure you're doing it with someone who's done it, who can, who you can shadow and, and show you those things. Um, number two has got to be, I didn't start on social media early enough and I'm only now seeing the value of it. And, you know, if it, if it was three years ago, I'd started, I'd, I'd have a lot more of a following and, and, and really be feeling the effects now. So I think that's important. Even if you're at the start of a journey to, to just tell people about it, even if you're, if, if you're messing up, tell people about it. If it's going well, tell people because people like to see that. Um, and number three is don't get desperate for deals. So I suppose that's kind of um, down with the action side of things. It's, it's st don't try and if a lot of the time, if a, if a landlord is okay to do a rent to rent, immediately you try and start to fiddle your figures to make it work in your head to let you go for it. But you've, you've just got to trust those figures and, and say no, offer your best offer. And, and if he says no, then then leave it. Okay. Awesome. And then uh, top three tips for newbies in property. Um, yeah. So I think a big one is, I mean, for me, especially it's running around trying to do everything, you know, with no knowledge of a commercial conversion, trying to find out who owns a ginormous, huge office space that I'm going to now convert. It's, I think it's important to, to figure out what it is you need at this specific point. Is it cash flow? Um, is it big pots of cash? Is your cash flow all right? Um, how much time do you have to get to that level and base a strategy around that need as opposed to just everything and trying to do everything because it really will slow you down. 
Um, again, not being desperate. Um, it's, it's obviously exciting and you want to get deals. You want people to take you seriously because you've done deals, but um, just just make sure you're, you're getting the right deals. Um, and three, um, and yeah, it's a big one. A lot of people talk about it and it's focus on helping others rather than just yourself is really important. I think when you start to do that rather than just focusing on the money or what you want out of it, better things come from it. So if you can do a strategy that will potentially help someone out of a bad situation, um, then it's, it's gonna, it's gonna make you feel a lot better and, and know that you're doing something good as well as making loads of cash. Great. And then a more personal one, what are your top three goals for the future? So I've, the main one I've got is, is to be a millionaire in three years. Um, the second one is to become a public speaker. Now that, that really scares me and I hate the idea of it, but I know it's going to help me so much. So, um, that's, that, that's a big one. And, and I'm going to, going to put steps in to, to get that done. Um, and number three is I've, I've got an app idea that I've had for quite a while. So, um, I want to, create and release that app at some point um over the next year uh yeah i don't want to talk too much about it it's all secret (laughs) (laughs) great i like your um public speaking one it's good that it's out of your comfort zone right because it's it's always good to jump out of your comfort zone and and extend it and and takes things further and i've um shameless plug here but i've done a video and a blog on public speaking so i'll have to put that out at some point and hopefully helps you too um yeah i I saw saw a bit of it earlier actually (laughs) and my actual last question is what's your favorite podcast uh it's got to be this one everyone says this (laughs) (laughs) no it's actually wicked i'm I'm honored to be on it um I, i i listen to it and i think it's such a good idea um so well done it's, it's it's brilliant um generally i mean i'm not too out there i'm literally checking my phone now to see what i actually listen to I'm, it's, I'm it's not... fine Jake. you don't have to mention any others test talks is all, all people need <laughs> don't worry about it moving on so um i understand that you also do like a, a mentoring type thing as well for anyone interested do you want to really briefly talk about that yeah, so I mean that's that's a new thing. I, I did a did a video with a walkthrough on a, on a, on one of my deals and it had quite a few people interested. It's never been something that was I wanted to do. It feels like every man and his dog does it these days, but um, actually it, it's who you connect with the most. So I've I've done like a, I've set up a, a private mentorship, intensive mentorship. Um, so yeah, if anyone wants to hear more or, or, or get involved, then um, send me an email at Jack at the Wixen Group dot co dot uk amazing jack thank you so much for coming on the show i think there's a lot of value um in this podcast even if i did uh, focus on the uh, mistakes i think (laughs) there's um tons of learning and it's good to see you know you have made these mistakes but actually looking at your cash flow looking at what you're doing and your kind of brand it hasn't stopped you at all and you know it hasn't really kind of affected and it may have positively affected your outcome so um you've clearly learned from these things and then been you know pretty successful since then so um yeah thank you so much thanks ted just been wicked if you like this podcast connect with tej on facebook linkedin and youtube for more great content